0: Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host Isaac Okoye Abwa and together with my co-host Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs, or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Hello, everyone. My name is Isaac Kodjede Nwabwa. You're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. I'm here with my usual co-host, Daniel Merki. And today we're talking about African film with a great director, writer, and producer who has produced some of the very inspirational African and Ghanaian films like that. Daniel O'Dama is known for movies like Beast of Nation, Borga 2021, and Joseph 2020. Beast of Nation definitely is a huge one that most of us know from discovery of some young Ghanaian talents and the role of big international stars like Idris Elba. We're very much happy to have you here, Danny, on the Change Africa Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I would like to start from your film journey. Where did you begin? Where does the interest of film come from? So I was born in Ghana and I was raised in India.
1: And, you know, I came back to Ghana um, years later. Uh, whilst I was in India, I went to the film set and there was a, a very famous um, Indian director at the time, Sajjari, shooting a film. Uh, and as soon as I went on to I went into the set, I just started asking a lot of questions. And this is, you know, a diverse Indian crew and and cast, pretty much the only Black people. We had, I mean, some of our friends who came with us were Caucasian, but we're literally the only Black people in sex. So obviously, everybody was was staring and and trying to figure out where these people are from. I just started asking a lot of questions. My bigger brother, Eric, is also very interested in film. He's a risk management analyst. He has nothing to do with film today. But um, I started asking a lot of questions about what was going on, how the film's made. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised how films were made. Uh, it was not like now that you have YouTube and, and all the behind the scenes and DVDs and stuff in those days, not, none of that existed, right? So all you saw was on the big screen or, or on home video, cause I really thought it was just real life people in a box. And that really sparked my interest. Um, down the line, we came back to Ghana. Um, I sort of was involved in a film in the early nineties called House of Pain and no clue what, what they were doing, but you know, just out of curiosity, I, I helped them sense. And then I made my way to the to the States and my um I was I had a business scholarship, but I decided to enroll in entertainment and the rest of history I decided to go into film production, uh learned directing, editing, cinematography, finished that and went to did grad school and the school for continuing you know, professional studies and uh a course called Cata Center for Bad Digital arts in NYU. Um and I got a Masters of Science in Tarakan Visual Effects. Then I moved on to Hollywood. Worked there for a while, mostly commercials. Um, did a, worked on a couple of independent films. Worked on my hotel, crew hiring um, unions, et cetera. I'm like, you know what? I need to focus on my core. So I came down to Ghana with some friends of mine, scouted for locations and and stories. And wrote a pretty good story. Took it back to LA. Won a couple of showcases on the script. And there a street reading with, with real cast. And decided that you know what, I'm going to go back to Ghana and make my own uh, production. So I was just tired of producing for other people. So I came back to Ghana, and for the last ten years, I've been producing for other people.
0: No, that's a very exciting journey. So can you tell us about you know that experience in Hollywood producing commercials? You went to film school, got all of these degrees. Why did you decide to go into commercials specifically was it an opportunity that presented itself no I, I didn't decide to go into commercials. so um because i did directing for visual effects i sort of had a, a supervisory job um
1: as an attachment um uh, very early and company i sort of worked with was doing some of the biggest commercials at the time they were doing films as well but only the visual effects parts of films um but for, for commercials we were doing a to z because commercials are very are very short and quick Um, And It it helped me break into the industry in terms of meeting a lot of directors, producers, sound design, um, cinematographers, who were from the film world, but obviously had gigs in advertising or commercials. Earlier in my career in New York, I was in school. I did intern at Miramax and the shooting gallery and a whole bunch of film companies, a couple of uh, films as well, me myself and Irene, and What Lies Beneath, uh, Robert Zemeckis. And the Farelli brothers, uh, these, were, these were back in the day movies. So I did have, uh, that background as well, but, um, in LA, I, I was very immersed in the commercials world. It paid very, very well. Um, uh, when you, you get sucked into those kinds of industries, your mind is in it, but your soul is not in it because you really want to tell these, um, enchanting African stories. So I decided to use, uh, the connections and, um, uh, expertise that I had in that area, come back to Ghana, um, and then find these local stories um and then and then turn them
0: into um global pieces. Was coming back to Ghana in two thousand nine the first time you had come in a long time? What was that experience like?
1: So it it was the second time kind of a long time. I left Ghana like almost ninety four. Came back in two thousand four um my father had passed away. Um so that was like a ten year journey and then it was on another five years, two thousand nine. I mean I left just after Ghana had gone into um Democracy. So I, I didn't see the transition as it happened. But when I came, I was pleasantly surprised. Things had changed for the better. Um, film was, I mean, those days in America, we would always hear about the, the Ghanaian films, Shirley, Shirley and um, all the other filmmakers doing great things in, in, in Ghana. So it was exciting to come back um, and try to be a part of that. And what was this first film that you worked on when you came back? So when I, when I first came back, I had actually got a sort of a grant and a scholarship from the Gates Foundation um and microsoft come shoot a documentary on malaria um so i started working on the malaria documentary at the same time building my connections in ghana re, you know re, reintroducing myself to people that had left um almost um, 18 years prior when i came to 2009 i was only here for like two months and i left so then i came back again in end of 2012 2013 the first feature length from actually worked on in ghana uh, was my business partner, Tony Tego and, uh, and our partner, um, you on a song called beast of donation that you, that you, uh, mentioned earlier. So it was a journey for me at that particular time, because it was a big, it was a big movie. It was an independent movie, small by American standards, but very big for Garian standards and Ghana didn't have the infrastructure, um, to actually support such a film, Instead, um, almost 19 weeks building that infrastructure from scratch in preparation for the film. And we shot the film for seven and a half weeks um, in Ghana. So it was uh, an eye-opening and and learning experience to work with what you have um, as an independent film production. At the same time, it was good to see so many um, young Ghanaians who had been trying it on their own. And for the first time, they were able to come together with local cast, um, crew from LA, crew from New York, crew from London, crew from South Africa, um, and the Ghanaian crew all together to make this film happen. So that was the first film I actually worked on in Ghana. Uh, before that, my first film I, I did in LA that we won't, I wouldn't even get into that particular one. That was one of my That was my first feature length film. Um, I saved, uh, $400,000 of my own money. Um, shot it. It was very ambitious to say the least. It wasn't at indie scale. Cause I had, I had, um, the connections and, and friends from the visual effects world. Um, it was a supernatural thriller called Hearts of Darkness (H.O.D.). I haven't really shown that film to so many people because you know your first films are usually your babies, and I'll revisit it one day. I'm wondering with your upbringing,
0: like for India, then being abroad for quite a while, so where did it seems you still had the urge to tell the African story? So where did that come from?
1: i would say the urge came from India. Um, at the time I was in India, there were two channels, right? There was a Hindi channel and there was an English and Hindi channel, right? The English channel would have the Hindi movies translated into English, right? But you had films from only a small part of India at in the time. At that time, mostly central India, and then Calcutta, Bombay, Goa, and Pune. Um, the rest of India didn't really have money or the finance to actually get into filmmaking. And I remember I'm um, watching on TV there was a, there was an English show and there was an interview um, with people from the south of India, people who are as dark as you and I from the South of India who didn't really have representation on, on television. And they were talking about the problems that they have in terms of, uh, racism, because everything, anytime they were ever casted, it was either to play the bad guy or that, um, or the person that got knocked out. You never, you would never see dark skinned, um, Indian women ever represented on, on, on TV and India. I was really young, mind you, but it hit me at that time. And I said, well, if indians are not seeing it then afro africans yeah you can imagine the world we live in um there's nothing there's nothing we're not going to see anything there was a film called um the girl from india right and it was it was shot in jamaica and it was, it was a girl from india who migrated to jamaica and then arranged marriage with a um a jamaican black jamaican man and you know if you watch the film it's, it's a very low quality film but if you watch the film you understand where the inspiration comes from. So down the line, I started talking, I was always talking about Phil to my, my parent, but in terms of his kids having to go into a business that was not sustainable, it just wasn't in his, it wasn't in his DNA. Um, but he would always tell us these stories about the north, we're from the north, I'm half Kokuma, half Gonja, we we'll always tell us these stories about the north, um, these enchanted stories about half humans and, and dwarfs and, um, and witches that turn into fire and all kinds of stuff. Right. And I was like, nobody in the planet is telling on me, on the planet is telling these stories because nobody knows these stories. Right. Um, so some way, some time sometime in my career, these are some of the stories I'm going to be telling these very enchanting magical stories, you know, um, that's where the that inspiration came from.
0: Definitely gets into the core of what you're trying to build and where your motivations come from. So that's actually perfect. But you came to build the infrastructure that was missing for Beast of No Nation. Can you go into those challenges that you face? What were some of the hiccups that you, f- you face locally um, to build in that field?
1: One thing that Ghana has, and that Ghana has always had, is people, talent. As for talent, we don't like it, right? Um, what we don't have is exposure and experience, right? So exposure to the tools for filmmaking, exposure to the art of filmmaking, exposure to the science of filmmaking. The get-go from camera, it was just non-existent. Lens is non-existent. Um, editing non-existent. Anything on set, uh, lighting, um, grip, All of it was non-existent. There was no transportation existence in terms of actors. We did have a a core group of actors in the country. We featured a lot of them um, in *Visa Non International*. And then we started searching for raw talents as well um, for the film. In terms of all the other non-technical infrastructure, that was non-existent as well. There was no banking. There were no. um, uh, There was no insurance. Nothing, basically. Um, and to make a film like that, the filmmakers, the, the financiers would always ask you a couple of things. Do you have incentives for films? Well, like, No, we don't make films in Ghana at that level. Why are we going to have incentives for it? It's not something I have to approach as a topic for anybody in the country, right? Um, Do you have um, edit house? I'm like, yeah, we have broadcast house. I mean, broadcast houses, but they cut for broadcast. And it's mostly news um, and news docs. And and a few people will cut their phones on, on a laptop, but it's in no way um, prepped for a, a feature. So all of these things were very important. We had close to 5,000 people on that film, um, including extras and, and crew. So even just trying to get housing for them in, in the Koforudia area was, in, was incredible. We, had to, we, we rented almost, I mean, I think we rented every single hotel, rented houses, large houses, converted them into dormitories, et cetera, just to make the film work. So it doesn't have the question of infrastructure. It just wasn't there uh we had to we had to be very innovative luckily like i said we have very talented people in ghana so in terms of the innovation of of um what do they say in cook when they, when you don't have the parts um um cut and text yeah what, what do they call it? thing when you, when you don't have the parts for a car they make it work so that's the thing so we um there's a method to our madness because we don't have we are able we're very innovative in that sense um and we are very very fast learners um, because we are not exposed and because we don't have a lot of experience and set there, there were a lot of challenges with attitude, work attitude. Not necessarily, guys are very nice people, so not, not just a bad attitude, but in just a work attitude. You just didn't get it, right? So um, I think by like week three, almost everybody got it. Everybody understood because we had, had these seminars to, um, to actually uh, indoctrinate the whole cast, the whole crew, people in the communities about what we were doing. And why it was important that we were up at two a.m. to shoot or to catch sunrise, or why we were we had to be on soccer at six a.m. We just had a team that that did that full time to understand what it is that we we're doing. Because some people just get excited to do the work, but then they really had to understand the intricacies of the work and why certain things are important. So yeah, it gets challenging, and or it got challenging at the time. It's a whole. It's a whole.
0: Lot. It's ten years ago. It's a whole lot different now. For you, what did these challenges, but also opportunities, really tell you about how you could channel the learnings, the, the connections, the networks that you built to the continent, to Ghana's filmmaking, and progress that narrative and that skill set that was seen lacking at the time?
1: I've enjoyed and after that particular film, Tony Idris and I actually sat down and we said, you know what, this has been some of the best experience that showcases the opportunity, right? These problems showcase a lot of opportunity. For the continent, right? Um, and the success of the film actually certified our resolve to actually put an infrastructure. We started speaking to financiers, speaking to people locally, people internationally uh, about capacity building, about um, um, equipping the local filmmakers. People who had nothing to do with film decided to start buying um, equipment for equipment rental. People who had nothing to do with film started uh, setting up these catering companies. Get an ISO certification um, to be able to f- feed local and international crews and have nobody sick um, for the duration of a shoot because that gets very expensive. I mean, across the board, talking to the banks um, in terms of our banking system, our payroll system, talking to the insurance company about being able to cover the insurance um, that we use on sets, creating grip um, teams, uh, exposing them in co-productions to foreign grip teams, and then they um, then take then taking over. It was. I mean, it was a process. It was a, a, sort of a, four, a four to five-year process. By 2017, uh, we were doing a lot of co-productions, right? Uh, the reason why you only mentioned my three of the ones that I could use, I did a lot of product co-productions with um, services um, with a lot of companies. And in 2017, we embarked on Boga, right? And in Boga, it was a co-production as well. There was supposed to be a German crew of over 40-something people um, coming to Ghana. Only seven came. The whole entire crew was, um, Ghanaian, Ghanaians took up all the roles. Fast forward to, and then we actually, when we are done, we actually took some Ghanaian crew members from here to Germany to go shoot because it was, it was, it was just more affordable and the expertise. We're actually way too surprised that Ghanaians had that skill set because everything they had before coming to make the film was, was that you no, know, there was no infrastructure in Africa. There, were no, there was no crew in, in Africa. A lot of our crew have gone on to work in, full-time employed in Germany, in the UK, in the, in the States. A lot of our crew uh, being employed by other ac- African governments, Tanzania, Gambia, Sierra Leone, um, to go actually work um, in those countries. Nigeria is, I mean, our crew has been in Nigeria. I don't know, I don't know how many times how many work
0: on um, productions out there. So, in terms of, like I said, in terms of talent, uh, we're blessed. When you said 5,000 people were employed throughout the process of Beast of Nations, Nation, that really blows my mind because. For the average person, they wouldn't think that 5,000 people is what goes into the production of a film. But that really brings opportunities for employment. If we take filmmaking seriously as a country, as a continent, does it have hugely opportunity to really transform employment gaps that exist in that creative space? So I'll give you an example. In Ghana today, as we speak, we currently
1: shoot about four to 600 films a year. And i did I did a um sort of a study with the NSA two years ago um and we checked with tomorrow filmmakers, the filmmakers, filmmakers in Tamerlane uh, in the western region, et cetera, produce about six to s- uh, four to six hundred songs a year. Now, that doesn't mean that there are four to six hundred simultaneous songs. One person can shoot about you know about 20 songs in a year. So when you do the when you do the addition, these are very, very, very low budget songs, extremely low budget songs. There's very little premium value in the songs. There's a lot of IP in the songs, but there's very little premium value in the songs. Now, just imagine after those 400 or 600, or 600 films, you invested about $100,000 into each of them. You would have, um, it would still be a low-budget film, but you would have some premium value into the film. You would get people, kids from, Must, kids from Nasty, um, kids from Legon, um, to actually work with these um, local filmmakers who have great IP, but tend to use people who they know, um, you know people who shoot funerals and, and weddings, et cetera, as opposed to um, professionally trained filmmakers from these uh, collagen college universities, they tend to end up in shooting commercials and um, music videos as opposed to shooting uh, feature films. So if you were able to get those people to work on these four to six hundred films, then you got and each film employed 30 people, the math is is, is right there. Um that's I'm talking about 50 people crew, the math is right there. And then if you had about another twenty, twenty-five to thirty or forty people cast. Including the extras, including all the ancillary services that go with a film, exponentially, you can see immediately that GDP impact, the employment impact, right, and the cultural impact um, of of the films. Because once the film hits that number and the other premium um, value, we're going to be selected to go global. So out of 400 films, you can probably get about 60 of them that will hit a global um, mark. If those um, 60 are turned around and made, let's say half a half a million um, internationally. Um sixty times half a million. The
0: mapping really acts up really quickly. No, well, that segues me into the bit around the film institutions in Africa. What do you see happening in those film institutions right now? Um you went out, you went to get all the education in Hollywood that I could offer. Um how are we bringing that back here? And are there gas in that system right now? And to your point of bringing these students into creation of actual movies post training how do we move from going to work on commercials and other things than to you know become full-time employed filmmakers producers directors etc
1: i'll talk about two things so the first part of the education is lacking mainly because um i had the same problem i started film education at a very late stage you know at the high school creative arts usually starts from from kindergarten right from when we start joining and, and dancing in school Um, Once you can get those creative arts in the education curriculum, right, and have exposure to photography, to very basic film, you gonna get cell cell phones used for filmmaking for primary school students and kindergarten students, DHS and then SHS students, you have a foundation. When they go into university, a lot of them are not going to to go into the creative arts. They're going to go into other sciences and other um, disciplines. But because you have a creative arts and design background, it actually enhances your education in all the other disciplines, whether it's medicine, whether it's law, whether it's engineering. Creative arts and design are part of all of those all of those disciplines, even if they're not consciously um, upfront in the subconscious, they are embedded in the... Once you have that, you have a large pool of, of creative arts people. We have in Ghana today about 148 technical schools across the country, right? technical schools from GHS through SSS through um the tertiary level including the poly- poly- polyclinics right you need a technical expertise in film so you need people who are electricians people who are carpenters people who are everything in the construction business you need them for film so now if these people have a creative arts background they go into uh, these technical schools and technical schools have creative arts in them these people now also have exposure into the creative arts um and then you have the aesthetic universities those that teach the the real creative arts so your um script rights and your story rights and your your film editing, your cinematography, your sound design, your sound editing, everything that goes into the people who are actually the forefront of creativity, your acting, et cetera. After your 600 films right now, you're probably looking at now about 2,000 films because you have more people who are exposed to uh, filmmaking. You're talking about a higher quality because these people have had a long exposure to get into where they are. These institutions will have to be uh, resourced. though. So there has to be a lot of quite a bit of funding. That goes into them getting the resources for the creative arts training, including out of our a large pool of tra- teacher training colleges having creative arts as a course. That is, an, um, I this is a, this is very long into the composition, but this is something that has to be done, right? So all of these teacher training colleges, you have to train the trainers who are going to train the people in the in all of these schools from primary to tertiary, right? So now you have a high employment rate of teachers who are in the creative arts. You have a high employment rate of people who are in a technical service of the creative arts you have a high employment uh, rate of people who are in a creative services of, of the creative arts and then you have a lot of people in the financial services of the creative arts and, uh, and the actuary and protective services of the creative arts because we have everything so Im- impactfully the uh, education is so 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 important right and all of these people might not get all get jobs in ghana i'll say you know how people get up and they bounce to london or they bounce to yankee to go make some money when they get there, they actually have a uh, they have a skill set that's um it's of premium value. Whilst anybody would be out in America making twenty dollars an hour, somebody on working a full sets will be, you know, th- thirty and above. So you already have uh Ghanaians who will be making a lot more because they have the experience in the background. Those same Ghanaians are the same ones who repatriate almost one point six billion to three billion dollars back to the country now. So you imagine that foreign exchange, those guys will now be sending back because of the training. Uh we've seen that in the medical industry in terms of the nurses that have left the country and how much They resource the country, so yes, education is such a a core, core, core injector into uh, the growth and GDP um, of the country, and uh, in this case, through creative arts.
0: As someone who had left the continent for a very long time and come back, and I know you've come back for a decade now, you seem very ingrained in the system with all the facts and uh, and the statistics that you're given. That really makes me excited because you then are very passionate around the change that you are trying to make. That obviously has been seen in things like you, I saw that you have been involved in trainings and and, and workshops for the NFA, which is the National Film Authority of Ghana. Um, what continuous role do you s- see yourself playing in bridging the gap to skill sets and, and expertise um, in, that, in that framework of actors, directors that we have currently? So the thing is,
1: what you see... Like I'm talking to both of you right now, I'm talking to Dan and I'm talking to you. I can t- totally see talents. Like it's not even, like, like it's just there. It's just something that it's, it's there. It oozes it out of, out, out of Ghanaians. And so just look at Ghanaians, that's just one subset of people. Then look at West Africans, right? I've been doing some work in Sierra Leone. I've been doing some work in Nigeria. Um, but for the first time, I went to Ivory Coast last year. Um, We're doing um, some work in Tanzania. We're trying to build a film studio um, in parallel with the one we're building in Ghana. And then we're also trying to build a continent-wide film body uh, alongside the Africa Continental Free Trade uh, Authority, alongside the African Union, um, and other agencies um, across the the continent. Um, Because even though we're speaking about Ghana film right now, it is really African film. And the borders are not there when it comes to virtual entertainment, Right. Um, but the diversity is there and it's important that many people have different voices are part of this enchantment of Africa. The reason why I do it is because you can't have film companies. You have to have an industry. It's a very collaborative arts. It, it involves everybody from the, like I say, from the business side, from the science side, from the, um, technical side, from the art side It just, it involves everybody from law to I mean, everything right you so it's that you need a lot of people to to pull from right to get the best of, of the best of the best quality um in terms of premium value you will get multiple tiers you still get no matter how people are you you still get people who are still on the low um end tier of the filmmaking um industry you can get people on the mid-tier and you get people on the high end tier right you you have to give people exposure you have to give people experience you have to give people capacity You have to have capacity building um across the board and this is where we will as a continent of 1.4 billion people we will have the opportunities across all the 54 countries for people to be able to for young people not just people for young people um we know africa is going to be a young continent by you know 2035 to 2050 the young people who are going to be in africa they are the, they are the real legacy of this continent everything that we've done or everything that anybody has done in the past is leading to what they are going to be doing right so if we don't build the foundations now by 2035 2050 when our kids and our grandkids uh, uh, to take over the reins of Africa, where do we want them to be? Nobody wants um, their kids or their grandkids or the or young people younger than them to go through what they went through. We've done the hustle. Let them do. Let them. Let them benefit from it. Let them. Let them. Let them enjoy the the fruits of it. Let them be the voice of the world. Let Afrobeats be the leading chart uh, topping music. Let African film be the leading um, chart topping soft power um, in terms of entertainment across across the globe. But you have to you have to start somewhere. By any means necessary. Is what I always say.
0: By any means necessary, definitely. And you continue to truly inspire the industry, and I think that a lot of people who are there should be should be happy around uh, that. You you are bringing more collaborations too. I mean, famously, I want to talk about two things right now. First is Idris Elba. How did that relationship with him become this strong and 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 the collaborations? And I know that he has a Ghanaian heritage, but I would like to think that you are part of the reason why. This collaboration and believe in Ghana has become strong. Now you are building a film studio here. You're saying you are building some in, um, um, in in Tanzania. I know he's trying to do stuff in his other African homeland, which is um, Sierra Leone. How do you bring some of these, you know, global superstars together to have a reconnection back to the continent and you know really edge them on on coming to help build this African in film industry? that we are we're all trying to you know anticipate
1: yeah, i mean thanks to film and thanks to thanks to my um my career in film i've been able to travel um uh, quite a bit across across the globe right and everywhere i go people who are dark skinned, and normally just talk of people who are African. people who are dark skinned have a, a bit of marginalization like right? they just always have something to say and for some reason when they have a conversation they, it all leads back to africa when you talk to people who are in brazil it all leads back to africa when you talk to people who are in the caribbean it all leads back to uh, to africa when you talk to people who are african-american it all leads back to africa black londoners it always all leads back to africa right people always just people black people just want to see africa succeed right in anything they do the biggest black star you can think of whether it's will smith whether it's Denzel washington whether it's idris alba whether it's they all want to have be a part of africa for idris it's easier because he is ghanian than his his house really have ghanian he knows his homeland. He understands what is going on on, um, on, on the continent. He's also very uh, conscious in, in terms of what's happening across the globe, in terms of living in um, poverty um, and giving opportunity to as many people as he can. So we, ha- we have pretty much the same exact trajectory in terms of what we want to do. I have a, I mentioned my business after Tony Tego. Tony Tago is, is actually um, the core glue between um, our business in Ghana, our business in London, our business in the States, And a lot of the celebrities before i met tony um he had done a film his first movie he had ever done um was in la he did a film called um they die by dawn um it was a short film it was 57 minutes but he was able to speak to some of the biggest artists you go to youtube you see the die by dawn he spoke to some of the biggest black actors um from Denzel to um isaiah washington to nate parker to um, a whole bunch of people and they all came to set for free and they worked on that song for free. They all flew to LA to be on site for free. <laughs> right? So it's, it's the same, like I said, that because everybody has that interest. They have that one common goal, right? And it's, if you were able to, uh, and be very truthful and transparent in your appeal and, 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 and what you're looking to do and everybody aligning and understanding what partnerships are, people who have, where their people's strengths lie and where people's um, weaknesses are, and, but you still have a common goal and you all want to achieve it. It's everybody, I mean. You could call people superstars, but they're just as human as you and I. And so if you appeal to the humanity, you appeal to the sense of what um, should happen in Africa. Um, the Die by Dawn was, was made into a, a bigger film called The Holiday They Fall uh, on Netflix. Um, so it went from a free movie to a ninety million movie um, that was out, I think, somewhere last year. So you can see that, and it's the same it's a group called people, the director from The Die by Dawn the same guy who directed and wrote and directed The Holiday the They Fall. So you can see, it's a it's a, it's a um, the same core of people. So we continue to work on the three continents. We don't only really work in Africa, but the core focus and the core um, um, goal is to really make Africa great again.
0: And what other exciting collaborations are coming up? Because I see, for example, that there is a collaboration with Four Hertz, who you know has done some most exciting work. Just recently, there is a Infernos, if I am correct. Um, a movie coming up with Idris Elba. So can you tell us more about the exciting things that you are doing with TD Films and the other collaborative ventures that you are making happening via Ghana and via Africa?
1: I can't go into too much detail for those, of maybe, but (laughs) but there's there's quite a few of them. Um, There are quite a few of them. Um, So the big part of film production is exhibition and distribution. Africa sort of, lacks the um, the exhibition and distribution um, part of film, right? Where you actually make the money. So currently, the money is made uh, um, across the globe. So you do a local for global um, type deal. You shoot the phones locally and you sell them um, globally or internationally. The collaborations we do are ba- mostly based on that, right? So the collaborations we do with a lot of people are mostly based on on that local to global we're not only we're working with Idris, we're working Afua Hirsch. my sister. She's a brilliant writer, um, brilliant filmmaker. Um, she's been doing this for a minute. Um, and she actually went to school, college with Tony. That's how they, in Oxford, that's how, um, that's where, the, that's where the connection came from. And the story we're working on is, I mean, one of the films we're working on is a quick little leaf um, story. There's collaborations on sci-fi films, sci-fi, no sci-fi series, some pretty big ones. Um, with some big streamers, there are some collaborations on Kwame Nkrumah. There's a collaboration on the Yas Antwoah story. Um, the Kwame Nkrumah is a series, it's a long form series. Um, Yas Antwoah is a, a feature film. Um, there are some collaborations. Uh, there's a lot of television. We have slates that we're putting together. We have our own film slates. Um, we just some film slates for Africa. Um, James Samuel has some film slates for Africa. Michaela Cole has some film slates. Many different, um, let work with and
0: try to, try, to, try to make the uh, collaborative dream uh, a, re- a reality. Now, you talk about these historical films that you are trying to enact. Um, and when it comes to historical films, we know there's always the argument around the historical accuracy and the cultural nuances and making sure that you are telling the story to reflect as much as possible the truisms and the realities that existed at the time. What kind of measures are you putting in place so that we don't make the similar or same mistake that Hollywood has had? Obviously, being that we're Ghanaians, but also we are doing this in collaboration. And Africans, we're doing this in collaboration with other people. How do we make sure that we maintain the the trueness, the African identity, the the reflection of the histories in the stories as real as we can? Cultural
1: authenticity. It's is very, very, very important, right? And trying to maintain cultural authenticity is very, very, very important. However, a lot of the stories that we know or the historical stories that we know, we did not write them, um, somebody else wrote them and they also wrote them to actually give a skewed version of, of the history. So the historical actress is already very skewed towards a, a colonial, um, uh, mindset, um, So for us to be able to get the cultural authenticity, to be able to get um, a balance between tradition and modernity in terms of filmmaking um, uh, audiences, um, you have to do a lot of your own research, right? Which means that you literally have to go and find people who knew the people, or people from um, traditional parts of Africa, where the people actually came from. So you you can do a lot of that, but it's very difficult because the information that is put out there it's very heavily skewed. Even information that are autobiographies by by people, a lot of the publish are, are foreign publishers, right? And the editors will edit it to to say, hey, yo, this is the same way we do make films when we edit the film, the editor who's writing your autobiography I'm saying you know, to appeal to a European audience or American audience to sell your book, uh, we need to change this and change that and change that. So there's a lot of ambiguity in getting um uh, cultural authenticity it's not an easy thing so i'm not going to sit and say it's an easy thing and, and and we have the the formula to to um to make sure it's that authentic you will, we will always have critics it's there's no doubt because for example comic ruma's life is a, a i mean it's a long life right to condense that life into um even three seasons of a tv show right will be really edited so in editing that, you would still have to, you, you will mostly focus on a lot of drama, a lot of emotional uh, ranges, so you, so you can get to have a, a very emotional, gripping um, um, story. So you will miss out some of the um, intellectual accuracies. And this, these are to the compromises you have to make in terms of trying to get the story out. And people who knew him, who know other, other stories, or sometimes who were in the room at the time, who you didn't get to interview, will always come out and say, hey, yeah, it's true that Kofi slapped um, Kwame, but you don't even know how the slap happened. You tend to read there was a slap that you got read from a book versus somebody who was actually in the room when the slap happened. Um, so these are the things that you have to always look out for. And, and, and sometimes you
0: have to compromise um uh, to be able to get your story out. And I want to talk about the particular film studios that um Abi built in Ghana and in Tanzania. What, what's really the plan here? How big is it going to be? There are some exciting progress that you can share um about those developments i can't share too much
1: but i can i can tell you um a few uh reasons why the studios are needed um the thing about being able to tell I mean, some of the stories we just spoke about the the thing about being able to tell those stories is you have to be able to write and have your imagination um run wild right you have to be able to uh, recreate certain things that don't even exist anymore it's hard to find very quiet spaces um to do that. Um that still have a conducive atmosphere beyond just shooting uh environment. I mean beyond just shooting and some studios lend themselves to that, right? You're able to build locations, multiple locations, and just rapidly move from location to co- location, shorten the time it takes to um to make the because it's very time it's so an expensive uh, commodity and so on. And get uh, a lot of life cinematic uh, visuals that you wouldn't necessarily have in certain real locations, right? Um, so it's very, very important. It sort of narrows the gap between what we call Hollywood and um, African film, right? Because a lot of what we call Hollywood, there are very few p- places in America that look like half of the films that are being shot in Hollywood. The, the production designers imagine these large epic locations and and, rec- and create them, um, and the films are shot in the we need to be able to get to that level of quality. Secondly, it is to also bring in international films to come shoot in Ghana, right? Much bigger international films, because the more they shoot in Ghana, the more experience our local filmmakers get and capacity building is built, got gotten at the highest point. Um so to build a studio, you need to build an international quality studio that would be that you can you, that would be exactly uh, a mimic or even more advanced than a studio you find in London or, or LA or Ventura or New Mexico or or Miami or Atlanta or somewhere. It has to be a little bit more advanced and at the same quality that the crew must be able to come in and um be and have the tools that they are used to um in those countries to make their films and the local local Ghanaian crew who become um who take over those positions should also have the tools to compete against their peers um internationally to be able to make these these films um and for us who want to make a lot of tv series we want to have a lot of programming hours across africa the the reason why we are so keen on 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 capacity building so many different audience or uh, so many different filmmakers is once you have these studios right filmmakers can come and shoot a film in Swahili they can come and shoot a film in Igbo, can shoot shoot a film in Yoruba Hausa in akan in and in Ewe and uh, in French and in Wolof in um, different languages once you have the 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 post facilities all of these languages right have their local audiences they have their local authenticity audiences. But when you have the POST facilities, you can double all of these languages. So some that show them Swahili can be, you know, rebroadcast in Edo, right, in Nigeria, um, because it's dubbed uh, for Nigerian audiences because you have the technology and um, and the space to create it. So you have a distribution-based, what do we call it, they call it a deliverables facility, where you can still employ more people in the POST process, not just on the production process, um, to come and be voice actors, um, um for all of these films, so let's say you you have one film shot in three, and you have to convert. There's what two thousand languages in Africa, but you can you can do all of two thousand languages. So you can do at least eighty major languages across Africa. Um, that's eighty times. Let's say you have twenty five characters on film. Eighty times twenty five times two hundred. I mean, you can you can see the employment uh, math and and give an opportunity to 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 all of these African um, employees, and then to the actual filmmakers, creating a much wider audience. One of the reasons why our uh, our content is, is, is very localized and is not growing across the continent, is because it is that very localized. To actually distribute uh, a Leo Win film from Kumawood to um, a Shona speaking audience in Zimbabwe, you have to put it in, you have to make the film in Shona. You have to have an English version and have, have a Shona version to hit those markets. Sometimes you can't do all of the Dublin yourself. So you ha- you franchise it out to all of these other countries and say, look, build a, a Dublin studio in your country and we will give you the contents to, to dub in your country and then. Um, you can you can distribute and make some money off of it in those um, in those countries. Um, that's the future of of African distribution. That's the carrying distribution model in Europe and and Americas and Asia. But that's the future of African um, distribution. These are why we are building all of these facilities and why they're so important.
0: Now, I I love the ecosystem approach you are thinking to. It's very systemic. It's not we're coming to just do fills. It's like we're trying to change the entire industry, and we're coming with a framework that is going to make it sustainable. That's excellent. Um, I'm quite interested in why Tanzania, obviously. We know why Ghana, but why Tanzania?
1: So in West Africa, we have um, Nigeria, Ghana, and Sierra Leone, right? Um, And then we are speaking to Abidjan um, because it's a huge, you know, the Francophone market is very different from the Anglophone market, right? The Francophone market is more for Virginia. The uh, uh, Anglophone market is more segmented. So things that are happening in Ghana are not necessarily happening in Nigeria, but in the in the francophone world, things that are happening in things that are happening in Ivory Coast are spread across the whole francophone continent. So there's there's a there's a difference in how um, content is spread from between francophone and, and uh, lusophone and anglophone in how content is spread. So to actually tap into those markets and to tap into those filmmakers, um, into their creativity and their IP we need to bring them aboard. For the Eastern side, Swahili is a very dominant Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, and other, other surrounding um, countries. Um, building a studio in Tanzania um, helps, us, help, helps us help the people of Tanzania and, and the Eastern region, um, build capacity and build um, industries of their own for that whole region at that premium quality that we can share to other parts of the country. So for our East and West, uh, the North already has quite a few studios. South Africa already has some studios. So it's the East and the West that really have to um, be put, you have to put investment in.
0: Now, let's talk about talent discovery because what I see recurrently is that in your movies, you make a dedicated effort to search for raw talent, people that perhaps have almost no affiliation with the industry or formal training, but then you go out and find them. I guess one of those popular stories would be that of Abraham Attaf, who um, did very well for himself. Found himself now, I think, in Hollywood. Why? Why that? Why do you feel the need to do that?
1: We don't do it on purpose. Talent is talent. If you have actors who are already very established and and fit a role, we go for them. Why? Why reinvent the wheel, <laughs> right? Um, but the story dictates, right? The the film actually dictates the actors you you will find. What we do is we do open casting calls for every feature film. So they're open casting calls and we tell the, the casting directors the scouts to find as many people as possible sometimes we get all we probably sometimes we get maybe like 400 500 people and we say still go out and get another 400 500 other you were daniel isaac Daniel, are reading a script um a face will pop up just based on a description of the, the script just based, based on the character arc and where um the actors are going um in that in that script Right. Sometimes you, it's hard for you to picture somebody you know or an actor you know in that role. Right. The executive producers will tell you, "Hey, why don't you go and get um, Daniel? Everybody knows Daniel. Everybody knows Daniel in town. Daniel, Cook, everybody knows him. Get him into the film and let him be the the lead actor in the film." But then you, the you, the producer and the, and the directors and the other filmmakers, you. See, I mean, from you, the thing is, you always want, like I said, well, this is such a key, key thing. Just you, you want the film to be as true to what the script is. As possible, not necessarily um, getting into the tropes of of marketing and and distribution, right? But as true to what the the script is, because there are three things that you, you might need um, for a film, right? One is a great, 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 great story. That means regardless of who's in the film, the story is so compelling and so great and so interesting and so gripping that people want to watch it and people talk about it and they share it with their friends and they go to watch it too, right? Then you have um, an expensive film. That is what we call um, a tentpole or a um, an event film, right? You want as many butts in the seats as possible. So you need to get people who can bring butts to the seat, right? You need to get people who are social media followers, you know, all of these things. Um, so then you go for the, the biggest actors. Um, and it's also easy to fund those films because the people who are giving you the money for the films, so I like, oh, well, then they we're going the film and we know how much money he made, uh, the last film he made was... And we know the genre that film is, and how much that, that genre made. So let's just go with this, and, and then take our risks and cut some of our risks for the song to be made. But as filmmakers, as storytellers, the key story creatives don't care about those things. All they care about is what's on the script and how authentic and how uh, epic they can make what is on the script. So there's there, there are two forces: there's the business side of the film business, uh, filmmaking, and there's the creative art or the creative side of the filmmaking. There's always a clash. That's why you see a film starts and the director is fired from the film, or oh, he needs a film because of creative differences. And it's not because of what he wants and this is who he wants in the film, and then people are like, nah, we need that. We've spent, we're spending twenty million dollars. We need somebody who's <laughs> who can bring if hundred million dollars uh, to our film. So um, no, so we don't. It's not we don't do it. We we don't purposely go out and we just look for that. As many people as possible sometimes you you have a i mean it's happened we just I did a film just recently with paramount plus um we just finished in march we had some characters in mind and they had some characters in mind we had a wide open casting call a new actor was chosen a guy called cc um he was chosen he fit the role perfectly right there was a lot of fights back and forth between um the streamer and and uh, the directors but that's what fit the role so and they know they relented and they let, it, they let the creative take charge and and that guy actually had been auditioned for a couple other projects that
0: he wasn't fit for them so you know it, it's it's you never know what happened so now we're talking about investment um where is the investment for film that is now being produced in africa for african audiences for now a global audience where is that investment coming from and because of the work you've done how has the initial perception changed is there more investment now? Are they coming from um, people outside of Africa? The film business currently, we're doing local for global, the African uh,
1: exhibition and and theater space because um, we 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 haven't really looked at that space that well in terms of distributing our own films. Right, we are, however, looking at that space to um, for investors to build more movie theaters, to build more streaming local streaming apps, to build more. Um, 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 consumer-sensitive um, um, streaming apps, et cetera. We are actively doing it. We're doing it for four years now. I'm speaking to all kinds of investors, all kinds of app builders, all kinds of um, venture capitalists, et cetera. Um, but as creatives, obviously, because of how our money comes, we have to look at a global audience currently. The films will still come back. African audiences to watch them mostly for free. Um, but for 1.4 billion people, you know that if 10 million people out of 1.4 billion people watch a film, it's going to pay for itself. How do you get the funds to those 10 million people? This is where, this is a problem That is a huge opportunity. There's a lot of money for some let me just be clear on that. Every global there's a lot of money for a out. I'll, I'll tell you why. There's no other business where you release a product and in one weekend you make <laughs> 600 million, 200 million. There's no other business where it's, it happens continuously week after week, after week, after week, after week, right? So there's a lot of money that sits in there because a lot of, a lot of, um, funding takes like what, four years, five years. 17 months to to make returns. Uh, for the first two years, you don't even see anything. Um, but feature films, and when we, and feature films the way us producers or production companies make films, we don't make one film, we make a slate of films. We make 10 movies. And out of 10 movies, if five hits, it pays for all the other all the other um, ones that did uh, hit. So the risk value, the, the risk to um, um, earning ratio value proposition is, is, is really enrolled. So there is a lot of money out there. There's money from private investors, private equity, from surety bonds, from um, and, um, film incentives, the soft money, fund holder, um um cash. So there's funds that are out there that have, a, uh, have an entertainment portfolio. So there's so many ways to make money. There's actually social security uh, money as well. I've always been telling people in Ghana, as long as we, uh, we let snakes um, not be part of the filmmaking um, business, it's not going to go far because Snakes has built all, most of the stadiums you see in the country, Snakes build them and they're part owners of them. Most of the hotels you see in the tourism industry, Snakes build them and they're part owners of them. They're cash facilities. People come there, they pay cash and Snakes gets cash. Snakes puts it back in the fund. Um, pensioners have a sustainable income for the rest of their lives. Um, so because film and cinemas are cash businesses as well, we always encourage that you know there's, there has to be a way that Snakes can be pulled, fo- pulled into the fold, into the discussion to invest in um, the infrastructure. The cinemas, the streaming apps, etc. Not necessarily the content itself. The content itself, we can always find money. Once you can make money off of the cinemas, you always find people to give you money. Banks will give you money. Even you can take you can take loans out to make your films.
0: That's quite interesting. Uh, talking about streaming because the argument is that Africans don't have the um, resources, say, disposable income to pay for film. Um, is that is that your is that your reality too? Or you believe that there's a way where we can en masse build streaming platforms where people are willing to pay for and make money out of it? So, I shouldn't say this on the podcast, but I'll say it. So you have
1: different markets, right? And you have different, different demographics of people who go to who go to the cinema. Yes, some people don't have disposable income, right? But there's some people who don't have income at all, but they have disposable cash, right? So you have a young group of people from the age of 13, <laughs> to the age of like 24 they have no jobs right but the one thing they can do is find money to go to the movies or find money for entertainment find money for video games find money for uh, to buy friendly data and just waste it on talking to themselves i mean it's all wasteful but you know what i mean there are demographics of people who are out there who actually pay for content um you have uh, depending on the genre of the film you're making if it's um christian based you have a lot of people that will pay for um gospel for the gospel right so they'll pay for films that have to do with gospel because the, the connection, the religious connection, is so deep. You have people um, that women that will pay for romantic um, comedies. Um, some of them who are single, mostly people, most of them who are single, always find enchantments and um, the hope and, and the hope of of working on a guy they're looking for in a film. I mean, these these are studies that have been done for the last fifty years. It's not exactly new. Um, so producers tap into that stuff um, to go genres. You'll find a lot of men want a lot of action. One um, a, a lot of sci-fi, one a lot of comic book um, interest, a lot of um, martial arts, a lot of horror, and um, also a lot of. Um, I mean, men and women, women especially like a lot of law, law and order, and um, crime-driven um, dramas for, for television, as long as, as, as alongside romantic dramas. Uh, so they like situation-type projects. Everybody altogether likes um, family and comedy, slapstick comedy. Um, so there's there's too many. The demographics and so many genres you can look at in terms of who the audiences are. In terms of income disparity, because you have 1.4 billion people across the continent. Let's just take, let's forget a continent. Let's just take Ghana for example. You have about 11% of the population out of 34 million people. 11% is very, very significant. You have like 3.7 million people that can afford that can actually afford to go to the cinema every weekend. Outside of that, there's a few people who can go maybe 10 times in a year. You save for your entertainment most of the time. You don't just take out for your entertainment. All right you save for your vacation you save for anything that um, you're going to be expending surplus income on um and africa for example because we don't a lot of people they don't know when their next income is coming they know we're not we're not so there's some people who are government workers and, and corporate workers white collar workers who have monthly income but even that you don't know sometimes that they don't even pay you at the end of the month right so we don't know when our next um, income is coming so we become a prepaid continent right we prepay our electricity, we prepay our water, and then when it's done, until we get money, we don't use it anymore, right? So if electricity is out and we don't have, light for one week, we're not going to die. And then we'll get our electricity back and we, we, we use it. So we're a prepay uh, group of people. So somehow, some way, um, the film industry needs to adapt to what is the norm. What is, the way people spend is what you have to adapt. to. Um, you can have people, you know, pay one CD per month until the film comes out, per day until the film comes out at the end of the month for them to go watch. Right. There's so many ways you can you can um because everybody in the street makes some kind of money. Instead of whether it's five cities or ten or 30 CDs or fourteen cities a day or hundred cities or fifty so everybody makes some money. All these traders and stuff, they make some money. They don't make hundred cities to go and watch a film, a Jackie Apea film in one day. So you literally have to give them um, sort of a payment plan to be able to afford that film, um, at a certain point. Um and the models are there, right? The models are already they already exist for other products in in the in the in our economies. So why don't we just re-adapt them or re-adjust or re- um, them to work for film?
0: I like the idea of a prepaid um, payment plan for film. It's, it's quite exciting. But really, it is really the dominant things. And you've made a very great argument for prepaid as to like the business model for payment in Africa. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. We'll see how that works in eventuality, but I think I like the idea um, at the face value of it. Last question I want to ask you is that if, in fact, two things. Let me do the first one. You are uh, someone that studied VFX, VFX, right? Um, in Africa, our VFX is quite, quite, quite challenging to watch <laughs> at times. Um, we we have a long way before we be able to get there. Um, h- how are you trying to get us into I know uh, get us into that stage where we can have these action, excited, you know, thrilling films that bring the imaginary to the possible. Um, I know you're talking about some sci-fi movies, but what what are you doing in that area for people like me who enjoy films like that? Um, is that training going on? What what are some of the things you should expect in that? So currently, there is
1: no active training outside of South Africa for visual effects that I know of, right? What we do have, though, um, there's a Ghanaian guy called Marcus Levere who works heavily in visual effects in British Columbia in Vancouver, BC. Um, and he built a database of people who work in a visual effect industry that are African or Black, right, across the globe. Um, and he and he, he's updating that database um all the time. Um, and what he's doing is he he's given a lot of that database to a lot of companies that actually build the tools for visual effects. So there's quite the and he's he's he himself is always a, it's a tool builder. Um, so, there's quite a, um, a lot of communication. A lot of the tools for visual effects, if you notice, are built in Canada. Um, that's one of the biggest software bases for uh, VFX, um, Canada and Australia, but heavily Canada. There's some of it built in Spain, some of it built in Eastern Europe, and some of it built in the UK. Um, the cost of entry has gone down from back in the day when I used to like be in it, has gone down drastically to almost free in terms of getting the tools, right? The education is actually out there now. If you watch a lot of YouTube, you watch a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of these courses that you have online. You have, um, as in Gumroad, you have the Norman School. They have a lot of visual effects classes. They used to be just a school in, on, in, 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 in LA. Now they are online. Um, you have, um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of training visual effects training out there that people can actually, uh, tap into they started and done is so long um and they have dealt with so many different diverse cultures in india and in south korea and china etc indonesia singapore that is easy for them to speak uh, not to insult anybody but they speak at the age of a 13 year old to actually get you into visual effects really rapidly whether it's just the effects um, building, just of arts or the coding or the model building uh for, for V effects we will get there we are already very we have um, a few special effects, which is physical effects on sets um, um, here in Ghana and Nigeria. Uh, we do a lot of that. I mean, we do all our fires, our explosions, our burning men, our gunshots, our, chasers, our ex I mean, we do a lot of those things physically currently in Ghana. So the add-ons, um, uh, visual effects is a very broad range of things, right? From making, Taking things out and adding things in, um, making things enhancing um, a lot of things enhance- and changing uh, reactions, et cetera. There's just a broad base of, of visual effects. So that stuff Um, I haven't really used anybody um, outside of South Africa before. I've used people in the UK everywhere, but outside of South Africa, I haven't used anybody else. But I know it's getting there. We're doing some 3D animation for kids. Um, And the whole core um, crew or or artists are all Ghanaian, And most of them were trained at KNUST. A lot of them were into uh, architecture and arts. Um, And they excel at 3D. Two of them who were working with us for 2021 got scholarships through Netflix and they went to the um so to school in in france and one of the best um three animation schools in france um one of them, zaki should be back in Ghana really soon he just won the best student um award um and this is a netflix studios etc um they're all on netflix scholarships so these are Ghanaian and outside of them because animation takes so, so many people we work with people in nigeria as well we pick people some people a few people in england and a few people in america so if you ask him do we have a skill set or do we have the ability as for those technical things, I'll tell you one thing, on Ghana. technical things, anything that has to do with mathematics, if you put a, an ad out, you get 200,000 people. Things that have to do with accent, if you put an ad out, you get one person. So it's very different. The technical skills, we have plenty of them. We have plenty of people that can get into them. So uh, yes, yeah, when we actually get to the point where we actually have, we're building a phone school as well as a, you know, on the studio set, uh, a film university. So when we get to that point, there's a big component for post um and we will be able to do some training.
0: Excellent my, my final question is for young people who are listening to this podcast who are venturing into film or for people who have always wanted to you know get into film who are writers who have ambition to you know get their films produced what what should they expect from what you're doing and also is there a way that eventually the their work can be get exposure to some of the efforts that you are doing how do we make sure that we are discovering film stories that are written um, by, say, young people in the University of Ghana, our NAFTI, et cetera, or any part of Africa for that matter. Where do I start? So
1: for young people who are aspiring to be in film, the one thing I would say is learn writing, learn editing first. These are the two things you need to learn first, right? Writing and then editing. Once you understand how to write a film, the truth of the matter is, writing a film is actually easier to write, than writing a book. Right? It's very formatted. Right. The ideas and the language and the aesthetic language of why is more important than how. Why do you make? Uh, why do you edit something in a certain way? Why that language of, of understanding of why is the first step to filmmaking. How you do it will come after. You understand? Know but if you don't understand why you're doing stuff. You will be so you will be so focused on making things have cool looking shots as opposed to telling stories, right? That's why a lot of people end up being in music videos to make cool looking shots. And when you tell them to tell a story, it's impossible for them to tell a story because they focus on the how um, and the why cuts across. But editing and writing is your first. step. Once you move from editing and writing, the next thing is actually handle a camera then you understand the why of how, how why you're composing shots and how to compose shots right um and and the language of um putting a scene together um uh, in film and all of things that have to adjust having a film uh or in a scene to move a story forward that's, that's where you go back to, to the writing because the writer and the editing will help you in terms of the shots you need to take to be able to to get to hit that writing spot or to get that story spot and the editing will get you um um the, the, to hit that mark of maybe putting a film in two hours or one hour, right? Because you only have a t- attention span of people for, for that long. So these things are very important: the writing, the editing, and then picking up a camera and doing why 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 composing shots, composing shots, composing shots, composing shots, um, and then um, status tells very 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 short stories. Um, if you can tell a story in sixty seconds, a full story in sixty seconds, you move from a sixty-second story to a two-minute story. You move from a two-minute story to a 10-minute story, um, and then you become a filmmaker, right? So if you can can start um, by going online and following these principles, you will get them. Read a lot. Read as much as you can. Read every and anything you can. Do not just read storybooks. Do not just read newspaper accounts. Read political accounts. Read um, um, crime drama, police accounts. Um, Read um, uh, mathematics books. Read history books. Read science books. All of these things will always be incorporated in your phones, right? Uh, for you to actually um, get a... Um, you only have two hours... When you have two hours on a phone, you, want, you keep people in the phone for two hours, right? And they want to have that level of authenticity and emotional grip. As soon as you break away from an emotional grip, you've lost them. So if you have a phone on a doctor, and a doctor, you don't know... you the don't, you don't writer doesn't know anything about biology or science right what are you going to tell the people about the doctor he's just going to be speaking and have nothing to do with his career then you've lost the people because they know that this guy just an actor on the stage because he couldn't do much on the stage right but in a film you can because you can cut away and actually show the guy in practice and have um um, doctor talk you can bring a consultant in to assist you in doing that but the more you read and the more you learn about so many different facets of our our life or 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 the world better you are at being able to write the script Right. so the format of script is very easy but the content of the script is, is kind of key so you can tell a story uh, starts in beginning end right or you can do it in five parts but this what is what goes in there and how authentic you can show what goes in there and and, and you and us you having broad knowledge of what goes in there is very key so when you're writing a script about about, about the police you literally have to go and write, read crime damage you should, uh, read police law uh, police procedure, um, po- uh, police ordinance police ranking, um, et cetera, and then bring into your story. So even if you have only two lines uh, introducing your character, you actually start a character arc. So people actually understand uh, who this person is and and, why this, and how this person understands, and, and, and it's, it's a believable character. So if you put, uh, let's say, Daniel Quick who, who was a podcaster, into a role, because you've given him background and you give him background of authenticity, by knowing that
0: background, he suddenly becomes that person. So by 2030, say the turn of the decade, um, What should we expect that through the work that you are doing, through the collaborations that you are bringing on board, what should we expect in this new African movie and film industry that we are building? We want to get the schools up, the capacity building. We really
1: want to get the schools up. We want to get the schools in Sierra Leone, the schools in Ghana, the school in Nigeria and the school in Tanzania up and running ASAP. We want other people to do the same thing. We don't want to be the ones doing it. We want other people to be inspired to do the same thing, right? We want other people to build more studios, to build more film schools. Uh, whatever they are, we want more people to build uh, more production companies. Wherever they are, we want to inspire more people. We don't want to just have one Idris Alba. We want to have um, uh, David Oyelewo from from Nigeria. We want to have um, all the, I mean, different people from different countries. Right, Daniel Kaluwa from Uganda. We want different people to be part of that push to create content across uh, Africa. By twenty thirty, we are hoping to have we hoping to have a local policy out out by hopefully by August. We're hoping to have an uh, Africa wide policy. Hopefully by 2024, the institute we're building with the AFCTA and the US government, um, we're we're hoping to have all of those things ready out. Once we have those sort of sort of bodies, those bodies would would then you have a continent wide um, ability to help other countries bring policy uh, filmmakers, other countries raise funding for the things they want to be able to build their own studios, um, have um, full on written models on how those things work. So we sort of have an African film, um, 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 as opposed to say continuously copying an american film so, so the things that are uh, indigenous to us we're able to adapt into our film industry as opposed to as opposed to um, being one step behind and always copying um other industries we can never lead if we don't adapt to what we already have uh, you know what I'm saying? but somebody needs to actually do the research and put in uh, the papers for all countries to be all african countries or african filmmakers to be able to get access to to be able to build their own industry and then we can have this collaborative um industries across we want to also we're talking to a lot of african broadcasters um across every single country trying to find ways to syndicate um narrative tv programming because if we have a lot of free-to-air um television across africa that shows absolutely nothing but but uh, bootleg content um uh, from uh, overseas i mean they show a lot of religious stuff uh, some sports have a lot of talk shows but filmmakers don't get a chance to go on there because there's not a lot of money but when we syndicate the cost of producing tv series narratives can be offset by more TV channels than just one TV channel. So if you have a UTV in Ghana, you have a UTV affiliate in, in Nigeria you have a, and 54 affiliates. If UTV Ghana can only put up, say, $50,000, then 54, you literally have enough money to build um, a TV series. Um, so these are the models we're trying to build. Before you go, Ivan, one of the things what I always say is as much as we focus on the creative aspects of filmmaking, we always talk about the quality of the film, whether the sound is good, Picture quality is good. Acting is good. We a lot of times we focus on that, but until you start looking at the opportunities these problems have and finding homegrown solutions for these problems on a wide scale, and that's everybody has to be doing that all the time. All the bloggers like you guys, all the podcasters like you guys, all the time, we won't move the needle. We will still be trying to make why they'll be like, why aren't you making a Black Panther? And we're, we're still trying to make a Black Panther as opposed to making. Um, um, Telling our own um folkloric stories, right? Um and moving forward because we're not we don't have we're not we're not focused on solutions, we're focused on um everybody else's solution and the problem that we have. Um and the opportunities. Instead of focus on on our opportunity, we're just focused focused on the on the wrong things. And so we Tony Idris and all the other people who we collaborate, we spend our time focusing on the problem and the opportunity that the problem creates and finding solutions to those problems and, and speaking to everybody in other in the industries whether it's broadcast self telecoms, radio newspapers um governments, etc,
0: to find solutions to those problems. It's been an educative and inspiring podcast with Danny Dama, who is a director, filmmaker, a writer and I think now on the solo well collaborative adventure to recreating the story of African filmmaking and it's been a very exciting um, one hour and a half talking about African film with you and all the brilliant visions that you have by turning to we're going to hold you up to these visions, <laughs> we're praying for you but <laughs> please do, please no, please, no, please, do, it's very important please do, yeah, thank you very much Danny for joining us, thank you <laughs> The Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abua and Daniel Merki. It is executive produced by Tim Yastratus. The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quay, and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. This podcast is a production of Nexen Media.